All right. Let me open us up in prayer. God, we are thankful that you speak to us through your word. Your word is uh, a light into our path and a lamp unto our feet, God. And we would be lost if you did not speak to us. But in your goodness, you speak to us. And as we talk about depression today, I pray that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts to um, this terrible condition that so many people suffer from, God, that you give us compassion, that you would uh, minister to us. So we give this time to you. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are, this is part two of um, our Gospel and Mental Health series. And what we're doing today is we're talking about depression, but we're actually going to make this a two-part class. So uh, Michael is actually going to be out of town for our next uh, study, which is the 28th. There's no Sunday school class next week because of the women's mentorship training. Um, the following Sunday, Michael will be speaking at Grace Alameda, the church that our retreat speaker is uh, at. So uh, this allows me to, to uh, talk about depression twice. And I'm really glad that that's the case because there's no way I could have covered everything in one session. So kind of to give you guys um, the, the the roadmap, we're going to talk about what depression is, what it feels like, um, its place in the church. And uh, at the end, like toward the end of this lesson, we'll talk more about uh, maybe just like some, some guidances for us. Uh, if we do suffer from depression or know people who do. And then next, the next study, which will be on the 28th, we're going to talk about how the gospel directly relates to depression. And um, my hope is that uh, there's depression is something that a lot of people suffer from. A lot of people don't, uh, maybe may not feel comfortable talking about it, but I know that it's a reality in our own lives. I'm sure that you know people in your own lives that suffer from this. Um, and also, so it's, it's to inform us, it's to, um, give us compassion, uh, maybe a little bit more understanding. And, um, so, so what we're going to, how we're going to approach it is there are several ways of approaching depression. One of them is medical. One of them is clinical. Um, what I'm going to focus on is the theological aspects and people ask, have asked like, so my wife, Christine is a therapist uh have i consulted her we've talked about it a little bit but she knows a lot more about the clinical side of depression so uh, i will point you to her if you have questions but um i'll try to cover what i can i'm not going to be comprehensive in how i approach uh depression from a uh physical and scientific aspect but i will try to try to uh, touch upon it so with that let's get started uh the gospel and mental health and this is actually Yeah, so let me let me uh, give you the World Health Organization's definition of depression. Depression is a common mental disorder that presents with that that presents with depressed mood, loss of interest or pleasure, feelings of guilt or low self worth, disturbed sleep or appetite, low energy and poor concentration. And the World Health Organization, they say that there are about 350 million people in the world that suffer from depression. And I don't know how they get these statistics because, um, especially in, um, in third world countries, it, their, their medical care is not the same. And uh, they, there's a lot of stigma attached to depression. So there may be a lot more people that don't 
have any idea that it's even a condition that they that is that uh, people suffer from. So, or they might just write it off and say, "Well, you know, just deal with it, be happy." Um, but the statistics are 350 million people in the world um, in first world countries. It's about uh, five to eight percent of the population suffer from some type of depression. Um, and if you if you look at depression on a larger scale, uh, if you ex- extend the definition, then a lot more people suffer from depression uh, in one way or another. So there are um, – let me go through kind of the spectrum of depression. And this isn't comprehensive, but this gives, gives us an idea. So there are the blues. So uh, a lot of people, maybe because of their situation, they just don't feel good. Uh, things may have happened or – they, they're just in a low state, and um, this is something that I think we all experience, the blues. We don't feel good. We feel like something is slightly off, but it's nothing too alarming. It's something that most people deal with. There is situational depression. So if you lose a job or if you lose a relationship or if something bad happens to you, this can bring you down. There is dysthymia. So dysthymia is kind of this low-grade depression that lasts a long time, two years or more. And um, it's, it, and and people with this dysthymia, they can function, they can be in relationships, they can go to church, they can work, and um, they can function as a normal human being. But it's just they, they there's just feeling of uh, I, I'm I'm there's just like low grade depression. And then the more severe there is clinical depression, where you are diagnosed with depression. There is major depressive disorder. So this is. This is something that you feel it in your bones, like every cell in your body feels this depression. And I'm going to give you a description of depression uh, or people describing their experiences in just a second. But um, that's major depressive disorder. And there is manic depressive. And this is – I'm not going to go too far into this. But if you've heard of bipolar disorder, people that have these um, high highs and very, very low lows – so uh, that's the spectrum, and uh, I have some symptoms li- listed here of people who – what people experience when they suffer from depression. So with that, let me talk about what depression feels like. So um, I have a few quotes that, that I'm going to read to you. But first, let me read you uh, one that was actually um, – I think I found this on CNN or the front page of Yahoo, if you guys still use Yahoo. But uh, there was a there was a woman who posted something on Facebook and it kind of went viral, and she was talking about her experience with depression. So this was just um, a few days ago. Uh, this woman's name is Caitlin Todd, and she says, describing her morning, I brushed my hair today for the first time in four weeks. It was matted and twisted together. It snapped and tore with every stroke. I cried while I washed and conditioned it because I forgot how it felt to run my fingers through it. I brushed my teeth, too, for the first time in a week. My gums bled. My water ran red. I cried over that as well. When I got out of the shower, I couldn't stop sniffing my hair and arms. I've avoided hugging people for a a while because I never smell good. I always smell like I've been on bed rest for a week. I have no clean clothes because I'm too tired and sad to wash them. Depression is bad hygiene, dirty dishes, and a sore body from sleeping too much. Depression is having three friends that are only still around because they have the patience and love of a saint. Depression is crying until there's no more tears, just dry heaving and sobbing until you're gasping for your next breath. 
Depression is staring at the ceiling until your eyes burn because you forget to blink. Depression is making your family cry because they think you don't love them anymore when you're distant and distracted. Depression is somatic as well as emotional, an emptiness you can physically feel. Um, that sounds uh, bad, and this is not as unique or uncommon as we think. I think a lot of people, if they haven't experienced this themselves, they will. They know someone who has. Um, let's go through some of the quotes here. What does depression feel like? This quote from Elizabeth Wurzel on your sheets. Depression involves a complete absence, absence of effect, absence of feeling, absence of or response, absence of interest. The pain you feel in the course of a major clinical depression is an attempt on nature's part to fill up empty space. But for all intents and purposes, the deeply depressed are just the walking, walking dead. Another quote from Kay Jameson. Profound melancholia is day in, day out, night in, night out, almost arterial level of agony. It is pitiless, unrelenting pain that affords no window of hope, no alternative to a grim and brackish existence, and no respite from the cold undercurrents of thought and feeling that dominate the horribly restless nights of despair. So this is kind of extreme, um, and I'm glad that these people shared depression in this way. If, like, you... Even as I read, I feel this kind of heaviness on me. And I don't um, – maybe I can talk a little bit about my experience. I, I do not suffer from depression, but there was a period years and years ago when I don't know what happened. Um, one day, everything in my life just went gray. Um, I felt this profound like emptiness and darkness hover over me, and I don't – there was nothing that that I don't know what triggered it. Um, there was no major loss. I just fell into this. I think that, I don't know if it was depression, but it was a. Um, I think the closest I've come to feeling something like that. And for about a month, I felt uh, this low grade sadness, and like there was no color to the world. Um, I was still in school, and I just I would just go through the motions, and um, but there was just nothing. Um, that that's as much as I felt, and many people have felt so much more than that. For like the, the quote I read from this uh, woman, Caitlin Todd, uh, she she actually feels she feels it. I've heard depression described as a funeral in the brain. It's just there's you know there's something horribly wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. But that's kind of what depression feels like. So um, just a, I'm I'm going to read another quote from someone else in just a second, but. Uh, that's kind of what uh, these people describe depression as. Now, is depression limited to those who are pagans, to those ungodly? Because we may have grown up in religious environments where people say, well, you're a Christian. Think of all the blessings you have. You should not be depressed. What right do you have to feel sad? Or they might say, well, if you feel sad, if you're depressed, just buck out of it. Just stop feeling sad. And this was, for many years, this is how I felt. I, I just thought, if someone's feeling sad, they could just snap out of it. You know, just look on the bright side and be optimistic and count your blessings. And I thought that that was enough. And I thought that that could just lift yourself up by the bootstraps and um, that can solve it. Especially in the church, 
because we do have this amazing joy and hope, and we're loved by God if we really believe it. It it it, it seems a little bit dissonant to think that I can have those things and yet feel so sad. But there there is a lot of there there are a lot of people in the church that suffer from depression and. The reason why maybe because they they hear these things they think well I should always be happy, um, I, I I'm eternally saved therefore I should just look on the bright side, um, and there's sometimes a, ta- a taboo of depression there's a stigma, and people just feel like they can't talk about it they can't share. Let me read this quote from John Lockley and I think this describes well how uh, the sentiments of of this. Being depressed is bad enough in itself, but being a depressed Christian is worse. And being a depressed Christian in a church full of people who do not understand depression is like a little taste of hell. If for for believers who suffer from depression, they can have the comfort perhaps of knowing that there are many, many people, very godly people, people that have a close walk and communion with God who suffer from depression. We have in the Bible people who exhibit symptoms of depression. We have in Job, Job, of course, the most righteous man that ever walked the earth besides Jesus, um, this humble man, and he has everything taken away from him. He has his children, he has his land, he has his property, he has his health, Everything taken away from him. He has barely any sympathy from his friends. And of all people who would feel at least a situational depression, this is a guy that would feel it. And he does exhibit this depression, he, he symptoms of depression. But yet he can still have faith in God. What does he say? He says in chapter uh, 1, verse 21, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the Lord. Right? So... There's, it's possible to have faith and trust in God and yet still feel these things. Um, there's Moses. Uh, you can imagine, as, as the leader of the Israelites, he has all this stress upon him. Uh, he's going to crack because he's a human being. There's only so much we can take. There's Elijah in 1 King 19. And what does Elijah say? Do you guys remember? He says, I want to die. I wish I were dead. Um this, that's he's suicidal, and I think that we do a disservice to many of our brothers and sisters to downplay what they feel, um, even something as extreme as the su- uh, suicidal thoughts. Um, so we need to take seriously those who are honest enough to share what they feel. Uh, we have <clears throat> C.S. Lewis. I think we mentioned C.S. Lewis about every two weeks here at IGC. Um, a, a genius. He 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 knows the human condition. He has this crazy genius imagination, and yet here he is. This is what he says: "My heart is empty. All the fountains that should run with longing are in me dried up." Someone, a quote I read earlier. She, uh, she says that. Ab- Depression is sometimes the absence of feeling. You feel nothing. And for C.S. Lewis, he felt nothing. All the long, all the fountains that should run with longing in me are dried up. It's it's as if the the, the veins in his in his body have closed up, and everything that he could take pleasure in, 
it's it's just gone. He can't take pleasure in it anymore. There's C.H. Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher. Uh, they call him the Prince of Preachers, and he was the most popular preacher in the Western world uh, for a long, long time in the 1800s. And he preached to a huge crowd in New York. I, it was something in like 15,000, 20,000 people. Without a, I don't know how this is possible, but without a microphone, he spoke to this many people week in, week out. And a lot of people didn't realize that he had a wife who was bedridden. And every Sunday after services, he would head straight home to take care of his wife. His wife was um, – I forget what condition she, she suffered from, but it was uh, part physical, part mental, and he was taking care of her. And C.H. Spurgeon, he himself suffered from depression. He says, I have, I, have, I have suffered to the extent and to the depths of which I hope none of you ever has to suffer. So even famous preachers, preachers who know the word of God inside and out, they feel this. And it's not because they're ungodly, right? It's not because they don't know the word of God. Depression hits the most unlikely people. There was William Cooper. I did a, We did a Sunday school series on him. William Cooper is the hymn writer who wrote hymns that we sing in church. And he, he had a mental breakdown. He had, uh, he was tormented by thoughts of hell. He was, uh, the type of person that you would not want to be around. Um, he, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, he was a friend to William Cooper. And, uh, I think that William Cooper was only able to live and write these hymns because John Newton came alongside him and said, you are going through something terrible, but I'm going to walk with, with you through this darkness. Um, so his life was productive. But he, for his entire life, he felt like God was against him. He felt like he was being plunged into the depths of hell. He felt like darkness just covered him up. And all he felt was torment and pain in his mind. Can you imagine living like that for like 15, 20 years? This is what William Cooper felt. Oswald Chambers, if you've ever read through the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, this is what he says. Nothing but the overruling grace of God and the kindness of friends kept me out of an asylum. I I I went to a um, Christian high school and we would I would read stuff by Oswald Chambers and I would think this is a guy who has his stuff together. Um, he has this this keen insight to the Word of God and he understands God and yet he suffers from this um, pain and. Uh, so there is, there are among us maybe people in our church who suffer from depression, and um, it, it does us good to recognize this. We have this quote by Charles Spurgeon again. He says, um, and uh, I, I like how he puts this um, in terms of how we need to consider those brothers and sisters who suffer from depression. It is all very well for those who are in robust health and full of spirits to blame those who are sicklied or covered with a pale cast of melancholy. But the malady is as real as a gaping wound and all the more hard to bear because it lies so much in the region of the soul that to the inexperienced it appears to be a mere matter of fancy and diseased imagination. Reader, never ridicule the nervous and the hypochondrical. Their pain is real. Though much of the malady lies in the imagination, thought processes, it is not imaginary. 
So a call, a plea for understanding and compassion. So this is um, depression in the church. Uh, any questions or comments before we move on to our next point? Yes, um, I think you made an earlier comment that you know um, the number of uh, I think the World Trade World uh, Health Organization, Health Organization uh, you know the numbers of depressed individuals. I, I was just wondering, um, you know, being in the United States, I hear more about depression, and, and we're not a third world country, and we do have a lot of problems, uh, situations that causes a lot of problems and if you go to a third world country where there's you know less problems or less issues to deal with and I'm just wondering um, you know when we start seeing people who may seem depressed it's, 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 it's difficult to label them you know with depression uh, like I don't get depressed but you know maybe I, I maybe there's one or two episodes I'm depressed and maybe not for a long time, but, you know, um, I, I wouldn't be able to identify a person who's truly depressed. Yeah. Uh, and how do we become sensitive to it is just, you know, it's, it's hard to look for because I don't want to label them. Right, you know? yeah. Because that's, that would be horrible. And then, you know, and unless you know them and you see that they're different, I mean, that, that's the only way you can help <coughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, at least speaking of, to speaking of those of us who live in the first world, I guess because we have a lot more resources to help us um, identify whether or not we suffer from it, um, that could be helpful. I, I think <clears throat> um, here in the Western world, we have these resources like uh, therapy, and um, we have antidepressants. Um, people are able to address it, but then in terms of like your your question is how do we how do we make the distinction yeah, whether or not people have? Way, yes. uh, um, you know, I may I may have a mopey day. Right? Yeah, yeah. Have a, maybe I argue with Maggie for uh, a whole month or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have to be depressed, but I'm kind of mopey, right? And, and uh, you know, unless someone knows me, I don't think they're going to approach me and say, "Hey." Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's like labeling, and I. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, it's I mean, it's even though, even though they seem like they want to help me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Well, I think you kind of like answered it in what you were saying, right? Like, so, I think you're not looking for kind of like these like characteristics or traits of an individual. So, like, oh, you're you're showing A, B, and C, therefore you're depressed, right? But like you walk like we've been talking about, you walk alongside them, you get to know them you build, like, friendship and relationship with them and then you can speak life into them, right? Right. So you're saying, like, if I know them, then I can, like, I can identify if they're depressed or they can share with me, like, they can let me know they're depressed or, and I can, like, care for them and love them and, or just be there next to them and support them. But I don't think it's, like, yeah, like, you, like, look for these traits and say, like, hey, you're depressed, I'm going to come to you and help yeah. you. Yeah. Because that makes it, like, it seems like there's something wrong when then something like everyone exhibits and like yeah. I think that kind of just furthers the stigmatization yeah I, I, I think yeah I think I think you know you're valid in what you what you just said you know and I agree with that but in America they, they label very quickly they're not you know sensitive to say, you know and 
Um, that, that could be dangerous. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Sarah. Well, and I think, I think the call to be a Christian is to walk in a way full of love and mercy and compassion. And as you do that, as you're loving other people, they do open up. And I think, I think this class was a, a great preparation on how to specifically love people with depression. But overall, our, our life as Christians should be so full of love and so full of forgiveness and grace that when you see someone who's having a mopey day, can still continue to love them, whether it's a mopey day or depression. Mm-hmm. And then as you love them, if they open up that it is depression, you, this class has helped you prepare on how to love them. Um, but if it is just a mopey day, you know, it's one of those things where you, you're you able to love them and encourage them on, on a hard day. And we all have those kinds of days, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think that just goes, just goes to, like, the call that God has called us to, you know, to love and serve others regardless of a label or no label, you know? Yeah, I, I think, um, uh, thank you guys for your responses. I think um, one of the things that uh, the church in general needs to do is learn to create a safe space for people to feel comfortable in sharing that they're um, that they're feeling something. So I guess we don't have to necessarily la- put a label on it. Um, they can self-disclose if they feel safe enough. But in the meantime, we are, um, not just for those suffering from this, but with anything, we're called right. to love and, and walk alongside our brothers and sisters. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I, I understand from the Christian standpoint that, you know, we should love them and so forth. You know, I, I wasn't, in the beginning, I wasn't speaking from that term, but I'm just saying in America, uh, you know, we've seen the label. Oh, yeah. You know, and, we, and sometimes we're drawn into those type of things. Yeah, yeah. We, we might be too. Hit. To not, yeah, because yeah. sometimes we, we're callous. We have our own issues and problems or whatever. But uh, there's people who are sensitive as Christians and people who are not as sensitive as Christians. You know, it, but um, no, I understand. I understand all that. I, I'm just uh, all I'm just saying is that uh, you know, uh, bring it up just to say this can happen. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Luke. Just kind of general thought, which I don't know what the question, but um, there's less of a stigma about calling someone depressed as there is calling a depressed person lazy, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that's the risk that we face is that we have a hard time identifying. We'll see somebody and they could be depressed or they could be lazy. They could be depressed or insensitive or uncaring. And it's hard for us to know, is it, are they just a jerk, or are they just suffering from depression? And I think, as individuals, you know, we have to do our best to learn what the difference is. I mean, and it's not always going to be obvious, but I think like Sarah says, you know, as Christians, we have to sit there and say, you know, we got to treat them all the same, right? Mm-hmm. We, it's, you know, I try to teach my, my kids, too, in a way, it's like, I, I treat everyone uh, I assume everyone is an unbeliever but I treat them like they're going to be saved mm-hmm. and you know we should do that the same with you know, people who the street it's like you know they, they may be a jerk I, I should assume they're a jerk but I want to treat them like they just have a problem Yeah. you know and it's like if we kind of take on that practice I think it'll be a lot helpful because it's going to be true of everything you know is that person 
Congratulations, yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for your thoughts. Um, actually, let me, that's, thank you for that thought, Luke. I wanted to um, read this quote from a guy named William Styron. William Styron is a Pulitzer winning prize author. Um, I want to address what you said. Like, sometimes we just don't, we can't really sympathize with, like, people who seem like they're closed off or, or lazy. Um, William Styron was a uh, was an author. He passed away, I think, ten uh, ish years ago or something. But um, he he had this major major depressive break, and he it, it, it hit him one day when he was he was um, about to be awarded for uh, one of his writings. He was in France, and um, and he 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 describes that he was in like the the pits of his depression at this point, and he was. Um, like, you, have you guys watched Charlie Brown, where um, the teacher is just talking to the students and all they hear is wah 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 wah? Um, he could not feel anything. Like, it, it took every ounce of effort in every cell to get himself up out of bed. And it, he says it was it, he experiences this like hellish feeling of just doing simple things like walking out of his room or getting in the car. It required everything in him to do that, and. Um, this is this is kind of a long quote, but let me. I want to read it because I this helped me really. It really drove home for me what depression feels like for us, for a lot of people. This is what he says: In depression, this faith in deliverance, in ultimate restoration, is absent. The pain is unrelenting, and what makes the condition intolerable is a foreknowledge that no remedy will come, not in the day or hour or month or minute. If there is mild relief, one knows that it is only temporary. Temporary. More pain will follow. It is hopelessness even more than pain that crushes the soul. So the decision-making of daily life involves not, as in normal affairs, shifting from one annoying situation to another less annoying, or from the discomfort to relative, from discomfort to re- relative comfort, or from boredom to activity, but from moving from pain to pain. One does not abandon even briefly one one's bed of nails, but is attached to where. It's, is to it, but is attached to it wherever one goes. And this results in a striking experience, one which I have called, borrowing military terminology, the situation of the walking wounded. For in virtually any other serious sickness, a patient who felt similar devastation would be lying flat in bed, possibly sedated, and hooked up to the tubes and wires of life support systems. But at the very least, in a posture of repose and in an isolated setting, his invalidism would be necessary, unquestioned, and honorably attained. However, the sufferer from depression has no such option, and therefore finds himself like a walking casualty of war, thrust into the most intolerable social and family situations. There he must, despite the anguish devouring his brain, present a face approximating the one, approximating the one that is associated with ordinary events and companionship, he must try to utter small talk and be responsive to questions, and knowingly not in frown, and, God help him, even smile. But it is a fierce trial attempting to speak even a few simple words. Um, this is for those who suffer from deep depression. But I, I think it, it um, articulates something that people feel is you can't even brush your teeth. Uh, you, you, it's, it's, 
it's that bad. So where does this come from? Is it merely from we're, we're having a bad day? Um, let's move on to the causes of depression. So uh, some people will say, and there are still people, people in churches that will say, well, the main thing is this is because we live in a fallen world. Therefore, you're a sinner. You're going to suffer from depression. There's uh, kind of a simplifying of the causes of, dispre- of depression. But then depression is a multifaceted thing. There are different causes of depression. So I'm going to address them uh, how I can. There are physical problems. So our genetic des- uh, predisposition. If depression runs in the family, it's possible that your relatives, your, your parents or your children, they may be more prone to it. Um, also, if you, if sometimes it's how we take care of ourselves. Are we eating correctly? Are we getting exercise? Are we going out into the sun? Christine, when she talks to her clients at um at Kaiser, she one of the first questions she asks is, "Are you how how are you sleeping? Are you getting exercise? How's your what's your diet like?" Um, because if we don't take care of ourselves, we can uh, this can not maybe not necessarily draw us into a deeper depression, but it can. Uh, set the sails open for depre- the winds of depression to blow, if that makes sense. Um, there is self-focus. So people who are extreme, extremely introspective, people who view themselves as the center of the world, people who don't have they, – they can't look at anything without reference to themselves. This movie is bad because I don't like it. This weather is terrible because it makes me feel cold. This person is a bad person because they offend me. Everything is in reference to themselves. And I know I've spoken, I've said this before, but have you noticed like the most beautiful people, the most attractive people are those who don't care that much about themselves? Um, They can look at other people. They can look at their surroundings and just appreciate it without regard for themselves. Um, There is... I should. I think Michael and I have recommended this book, but um, I'll recommend it again. It's Tim Keller's "The Freedom of Self Forgetfulness." We need to get outside of ourselves sometimes. Robert McShane he talks. He has this great quote: "For every look at self, take ten looks at Christ." What's more beautiful than our Jesus? Uh, what can draw us out of ourselves? And then there are spiritual problems, and. I'm gonna. I need to be very careful in how I say this because, in the church, we can turn this into, um, we can place a blame on someone because they feel depressed. Sin. Sometimes sin can lead to depression, but we need to be really, really, really careful because oftentimes it's not sin, but sometimes it is sin. There is. Um, there. There is a way of um, something called nuthetic counseling. And it, it was uh, pioneered by a guy named Jay Adams. And he, the premise was this, that you are a sinner. And because your your thought patterns are sinful, because your actions are sinful, this is a cause of depression. And this, it, and this is called nuthetic counseling. And the premise, it, it was a reaction to to. The very um, secularized view of psychology, which said that everything is is um, we can disregard uh, the spiritual aspect. We don't have to think about God. It's you can just deal with it on a psychological level. And uh, and uh, those who propagate nuthetic counseling, they will say 
that no, it, it, it all lies in how your spiritual life is. Um, this is a long debate discussion that is to be had at another time, but I just want to, um, to let me know that sometimes it can be spiritual issues. It could be, David says in Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So it could be unconfessed sin. Um, there could be pride, alienating oneself from God and others. There could be imposed guilt. Uh, if you feel like you've sinned against God, and uh, I think Martin Luther he felt this way. He felt he felt this he felt something heavy on him because he thought that God was angry at him for all his sins. Um, but that uh, that could be a problem, a, a cause of depression. Uh, again, I want to like put an asterisk by that um, sin. Uh, we have to. Be, careful how we how we uh, approach it from this angle circumstantial um, relocation pregnancy graduation postpartum depression um, loss of anything death um, these can these can be triggers for depression proverbs thirteen twelve. hope deferred makes a heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life um, and then there is abandonment by god uh, I, I mentioned earlier the book of Job. Um, here's this verse from Second Chronicles. God left him, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. Does God leave us alone in our pain and darkness? Um, no, but sometimes it feels that way. And there is there was a a, a mystic, I think a a mystic monk. Saint John of the Cross, I think he termed this phrase the dark night of the soul. And this stemmed from this uh, period in his life where he felt like God had completely abandoned him. He'd never stopped believing in God. He knew that God was there, but he felt like God just removed his presence from him. And he felt this deep, deep darkness and heaviness. And, um, and this for him was a cause of depression. So this is uh, these are the causes of depression. Uh, there is, uh, yeah, th- there are there are m- multiple many types of triggers, but there are uh, it's it's hard to say. Um, I think that this is where it helps to talk to a, a trained professional. Why do I feel this way? How can I how can I process what I'm feeling? Um, any th- thoughts, questions before we move on? Our last point. Um, let me let me address uh, some a question that a lot of people have is: Is it wrong for me to take antidepressants? Um, is it wrong for me to take medication? And just very quickly, I don't think it is because uh, people who suffer from depression, there is something happening in their brain that's physical; it's somatic, and. The same way that we might take medication for other illnesses, I think that there is, there, it's not, it's not sinful to take Advil. It's not sinful to take, um, like I, I, I take steroids every morning for my asthma. That's not sinful. Um, and in the same way, I think that God, one of God's, one of God's gifts to those who suffer from depression is that through science and um, technology, we have things that can help us feel a little bit better. And if people who who take um, medication, they'll say it doesn't necessarily make them happy, but it takes away it, it allows them to feel again. 
or it makes them it brings them up back to a base level of functionality and sometimes it might take years for that to happen but um, it's something that I believe is okay okay so my my timer just went off how to look at depression so number one this is for all of us for those who suffer from, from depression or from those who know people that do understand how common it is um, the person next to you could be suffering from it and we need to have compassion number two it's a complicated issue with no easy answers um, it's we, we can't just make blanket statements and assume that people do or don't feel this way or that they can just lift themselves out of it we don't want to be too quick to fix the problems in their lives um, consider all the possible causes before taking medication or some other type of action um, so be thoughtful about it some people they they maybe um, some people they as as soon as they feel like they're in the state of depression, they'll just sink into themselves. They'll become very they'll they'll shut themselves off from everyone else, and they won't want to do anything. Um, and it, because that's what it feels like, that's the only thing you can do. But we can be thoughtful about it. We can talk to people about it um, if we feel safe with them. Um, Romans eight twenty two. For we know that the whole creation including our brains and our bodies, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Um, point two, or look to God. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. That's depression, perhaps. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, and of Hermon, and from Mount Miser, from Psalm 42. And finally, know that a life that is marked by depression does not mean that you can't have joy. In 2 Corinthians, I think Paul puts forward this really um, amazing way of approaching life. We can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Our lives can be full of sorrow, but there is a joy that we can have that transcends what we feel or what's happening. That's my alarm. Um, um, let's pray. God, thank you so much for being so good to us. And we ask that you would be kind to those especially who suffer from this condition. I pray that you would show them that you love them with a love that never lets go and that there, there will one day be ultimate healing, God. And we look forward to that day and that we can do that because of Jesus and it's in his name that we can pray. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.